Well, good morning. Appreciate the leading us in worship. Thank you for that special, Brian. That was great. Um, I'm kind of coming off of a high after yesterday. We uh, had our elders retreat uh, Friday night and all day yesterday. And uh, maybe to some people it sounds pretty boring, a bunch of guys sitting around talking about doctrine and how to administrate and organize and the philosophy of ministry and those types of things. And it was a good time. It was, it was a blessing. And I'm really excited about where Wellspring is right now as a church and, and where we're going. And um, we're, God is, is blessing us immensely here at Wellspring. So definitely exciting. Um, we're going to be in Second Samuel today. Um, I have the privilege of bringing up the, the last message before our Joshua series next week, so you got to be here next week where Phil will kick us off. I'm excited about that. I like Joshua. Um, I, I have a friend, Joshua, and then I actually like the book of Joshua as well. Um, so if he's if he's watching me right now, um, we've been studying through the life of David in men's group on Tuesday night, and I was inspired by this message. Um, Derek was doing a, a great teaching on chapter 18 on uh, Tuesday night, and then I kind of started kept on reading, and they were discussing, and I read it in the chapter 19, and I really felt like that was where. Uh, God would take me for this message today. So that's how we, we ended up here. So um, Tuesday night, I expect everybody to be very well versed in chapter 19 uh, coming in. So if, if you're here, guys, you probably want to take some notes. Um, this is a, a cheat for uh, Tuesday night. I, I'm not going to teach Tuesday night. I want to see what Derek comes up with on Tuesday night for us. So... Um, I titled today's message, uh, Unreasonable Love, and just to talk particularly about uh, how God's love is unreasonable to us and, and why that is. Um, so we've been studying through the life of David, and one of the things that is always said about David, uh, you hear it in passing, and well, I hear it in passing, maybe you don't. But David is a man after God's own heart. And I think that this part of Scripture that we're going to read really shows a man after God's own heart. A man that is um, like, truly uh, exhibiting God's love through his life and what he does here. Why don't we pray before we get started and ask for the Lord's help this morning. Father, I just I thank you for Wellspring, and we thank you for uh, the snow outside and how beautiful it is this morning. I thank you for safety of those who came here today and, and those who may be watching us online right now. I thank you for them to be able to do that. And, uh, I pray that you would prepare the hearts of all of us to hear your word and, and to be with us as we learn through the example sent by David uh, and the example... Uh, that you've let, left for us in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I say an unreasonable love is what God wants us to have because it's unreasonable by my standards, um, because 
it's easy to love somebody you like, but I, I don't think it's easy to love somebody you don't like. <laughs> I don't think it's easy. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> if I don't like you, it's not hard. It's, 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 it's really hard to, to love you and want to do nice things for you. If, you. if you do nice things for me, it's really easy to do nice things back to you. That's what I think. Um, so let's look at a, a chapter 19 here. I want to give you a little uh, backstory. So there's this guy named Absalom, and Absalom is David's son. And he's a little, little punk. He took over uh, David's kingdom, uh, ran David out. David didn't really put up a fight. Um, it ran him out of the city, took over uh, David's kingdom, took over his house, um, completely destroyed the kingdom, did some really uh, awful and, and nasty things uh, to David's wives. Uh, if you want to read all about that, uh, you want to go into uh, chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 15 through, uh, through 18 here. You can read all about Absalom's sin and all the awfulness that he did. We just went through that in men's group. And so we get, we get through chapter 18, and Absalom is overthrown. They have this awful battle, and David had instructed his men, go easy on him, don't kill him, I want to see him. Of course, it's his son. Um, they didn't listen to him. They killed him. He's the guy who overthrew the kingdom. I kind of get where they're coming from. They're trying to protect David. They're trying to protect the kingdom. This guy's destroyed the whole nation. They've gone through a major civil war because of this guy. Thousands and thousands of people have died because of this guy. Let's get rid of him. And so we come into 19, and David's pretty upset. Obviously, his son has died. And so Joab is the character here. Joab is David's general. He's the one who is responsible for killing Absalom. So we look at the start of 19 here, and it says, It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. Reasonable, since it was his son. Who died. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who were ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, you have today covered with the shame of the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your lives and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would have been pleased. I'll therefore arise and go speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. So Joab's pretty ticked off here with David. And, and it's kind of a little bit different. You think after, um, after a great victory, after a great... Uh, victory in war, you come back and you're going to celebrate and you're going to have a feast and everybody's going to be happy because we're going to get things back to normal finally. And everybody's sneaking around David 
They're sneaking into the city, being real quiet. They're not going to have any type of celebration because David's he's crying. He's broken man because his son has died. And Joab gives him this speech, and I think from a reasonable human point of view, it makes sense that Joab is upset at David. But as I mentioned, David is a man after God's own heart, and he's upset that Absalom is gone, that Absalom has died, because he loves Absalom, his son. And this is a clear teaching we see in Scripture about how God loves us so much that he weeps for us even though we were his enemy. And I might be getting ahead of myself here a little bit. But David loves his enemies to his own detriment here. If you look at the if we looked at the end of chapter 19, we won't have time to get into that. He pardons all of his enemies. Come Tuesday night, we'll talk about it. There again, the plug for men's group. Starts at 7 o'clock, Tuesday nights. We meet down in the new children's wing. It's great. We have coffee. Sometimes I think I'll have some donuts this week too. I hope you come on out. Uh, he pardons all his enemies. Who does that as a warlord? David's a warlord. He knows better than this. If you pardon your enemies, say y'all are good, what are they probably going to do? They're going to turn around and take over the kingdom again. Apparently he wasn't concerned about that. And that's why Joab's upset, right? His job is to protect the king because he knows that if we don't make an example out of Absalom, I'm going to be doing the next thing next week, right? I'm doing this over and over again because we can't get rid of these people who just come and take over the kingdom. And in Scripture, God continues to set this example of what we would consider unreasonable of loving our enemies in a way that is just, just ridiculous to us. There is an example set uh, by the early church leaders. If anybody remembers uh, the story of Stephen, uh, we, we call him. We can call him Stephen the Martyr. This is in uh, Acts chapter seven. Stephen's a pretty incredible guy. Uh, Stephen wasn't around very long. I really like the the story of Stephen, not because he died, but because of what he did. Uh, when he died. Um, He was uh, a great preacher, a great minister in the early church. And he he got killed for that. Stephen the martyr. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 7, starting in uh, verse 59 here, he's getting stoned to death currently. Uh, Actually, he was called Saul at the time, but Paul was standing right there stoning Stephen to death at this time. So consider the ministry of Paul might have not been the same thing if Stephen hadn't prayed this prayer. I don't know. It doesn't go into detail about that, but it says, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Why did Stephen want to forgive his enemies at this point? He's dying. It hurts the throwing stones at his head and at his body. And he's being pummeled to death by heavy, awful stones. It's an awful way to die. 
And he's saying, please forgive them. Don't hold this against them. You imagine if he said, God, curse these men, strike them all down so they die here. And God said, okay, let's do that because that makes sense because they're killing my servant right now. We wouldn't have Paul. I don't know if that would, if, if God would have listened to Stephen like that, but that's the reasonable human response. If I saw Paul getting stoned here, I'd, I'd try to stop it. I hope we, we would, I hope I would try. I'd try Paul. <laughs> Probably get hurt in the process of it too. I'd get stoned as well. But I think the reasonable response for any one of us would be to try to stop the people that is hurting them. Why didn't God stop them? Well, maybe for the fact that he wanted to show Paul who he was through Stephen, to have Paul hear that prayer that Stephen spoke so that he would begin working in Paul's life. He was working in Paul's life to get him, to get a hold of his life to begin Paul's ministry. I think we'd agree that Paul had a pretty amazing ministry. I, not you, Paul, but you did too. You do too. So <laughs> you're not done yet. <laughs> but we also have this example. Stephen was a, a student of Christ's ministry. I would believe if he was a in the early church, he would have heard the stories. I don't know if he was old enough to know Jesus when he was on the earth. Uh, probably close to it. He probably might have had some experiences with Jesus. He would have definitely heard it from the apostles at that time. So he would have known the stories of Jesus and how he forgave his enemies. If we look at Luke chapter 23, I'm going to have you move around a lot today. So keep your notes handy there. I didn't give them any notes this week because I had a lot going on and I totally forgot. So the back of your bulletin is completely blank. You can do whatever you want with that. You can write down all of your notes on that. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Now Jesus is on the cross. We know the story well, I hope. He's beaten. He's flogged. He's had to carry the cross out. It's a really heavy cross out there. They nail him to the cross. That's not easy at all. I mean, I'd be ticked at this point. I don't want anything to do with any of these people that are trying to kill me. My people have forsaken me. I didn't do anything wrong. I've healed them. I've fed them. I've told them the truth about everything. And now they're killing me. And he gets through all of this. They got him up on the cross like a criminal. And he says in verse 34 of Luke chapter 23, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I, it doesn't make sense to me. Again, if I was the Son of God, I can, couldn't I call down fire from heaven, strike them all with lightning, jump down off the cross and say, forget this, I'll go somewhere else and make them my people because you have all forsaken me. Because no, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know that they're killing me, the Son of God. They don't know what they're doing, but He knew that it had to be done so that we, we could be saved. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. But Jesus actually instructed in his teaching about this very same thing. For at this point, if he had jumped down off the cross, if he had called down 
fire from heaven or whatever you think we could have done at that point, it would have been contrary to his instruction. I believe so. If you look at uh, Matthew 22, uh, verse 36 here, he is asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When I think about neighbor, I think of the American neighbor. I like my neighbor Mark to the other side. The other neighbor, they, they moved away. So there's nobody there. That house is empty. I like that neighbor the most. They're really quiet. So The guy who shows up from the bank and mows the grass, it's really cool. I like the neighbors across the street. They're, they're pretty nice people. I like my neighbors. It's easy to love my neighbors. They're pretty quiet, you know. They say hi when they, they mow the grass, and we've had uh, little barbecues with them. Those are nice neighbors. But if we look at the definition of neighbor, and I think we've heard this, but a neighbor is somebody who is separate from you. So there's neighbors that we don't like. We talk about neighboring countries. There's a lot of neighboring countries, a lot of people that we probably wouldn't like very much. And there's a lot of neighboring countries who don't like us at all. We're their enemies. And Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does that mean? That means to love those people that may not want anything to do with you at all. It's real easy, again, to love people that you like. If you, if you like your friend, it's, it's really easy to love them. But think about somebody who wants nothing to do with you. Maybe they're, they're yelling and cursing at you all the time. Man, i got a neighbor just up the street from me. And he, he's pretty mean. He's just, he's just an angry person, and, and he's really difficult to talk to. He goes out. He likes to yell at the, the street crew. He likes to, to yell at the police. I don't know what, his, what is going on in his mind. He, he's, pretty, he's pretty mean. Dave knows who he is, Betty. <laughs> I want to pray for him. I don't want him to be my enemy, number one. Because he's, he's, but I, he's, he's an angry person, and I want to pray for that neighbor. But it, it's harder to pray for him, because he doesn't make it easy for me to get to know him. He, he's, he's a difficult person to get to know. But Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is not only love God. So if we love God, we've got that good. That's easy. God loves me. I love him. That's pretty easy. But now he wants me to love all these other people over here. So Jesus continues in his teaching. Uh, if you look at uh, Luke chapter 10, this is still really squeaky. If I can, I'm going to move over here a little bit. Can you still see me in the camera? I, I can't do the squeaking anymore, Steve. It was squeaky right there. Can you still see me in the camera? Okay, thank you. So Luke chapter 10, and starting in verse 25, this is the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Now if you think about Samaritans, these were 
They're cousins, the Israelites' cousins, right? Kind of, you know, they call them the, the half-breeds. These are the, the weirdos, the, the bad people who went out and married the Gentiles, whoever they were. These people would have still tried to identify as Jews, but they were outsiders. They had their own little area of the world. They put them in Samaria, put them over there. Um, these days in America, we might call that uh, the ghetto. I, there's, there's a lot of things. We, we did that in American history. We put a certain class of people in certain neighborhoods by force so that they wouldn't come up here and mess up our little world and everything. Um, what? Build a wall. I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> not going there today. Put them over there. We're not going to talk to them at all. So this is, well, if you read this through the story of the Samaritan, you understand that this is a this is a person who they didn't like. So a lawyer stands up and he says to put Jesus to the test. He's like, I'm gonna figure this one out. This teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's easy. So I, I like Joe next door, right? And, and he said, said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, but who's my neighbor? So he asked, and Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. Well, remember the priest and the guy laying on the side of the road, they're from the same class of people, so they're supposed to like each other, right? So likewise a Levite, same class, Shouldn't be any problem here. When he came to the place and he saw him, he passed on the other side. Now these were supposed to be the religious leaders of the time. They were the ones who, they held the line. They were the authority on Scripture. They knew what they were supposed to do and what they weren't supposed to do. They would know that you're supposed to love your neighbor. They love God and they love their neighbors. But they had no regard for the guy laying in the gutter over here. Not going to pick him up and help him. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came along and he saw him, and he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, and pouring on oil and wine, he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which one of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So the man who's a Samaritan, he's got a lot of reason to be mad, I think, from a human perspective. He's likely born into this culture. He has no choice. He has a lot of reason to be mad at an Israel, Israelite man because their enemies by the fact that they were born into two separate groups of people. So they have to be mad at each other. But the Samaritan 
puts all of this aside to go and rescue the man from the side of the road, gives him oil and wine to help him feel better. Those aren't cheap things. Uses his own resources, his own money to take him to an innkeeper. Puts himself in danger doing all of this too because obviously the road's dangerous because the guy laying in the gutter, he got attacked by robbers. So are the robbers coming back? That's probably what the priest was like. I got to keep going. They're going to come get me. You know, they got that guy. They'll probably get me. I got to go. I'm not checking on him. Puts his, takes his life in his own hands. Gets this guy, gets him loaded on the donkey. That's not easy. I don't know if you ever tried to lift a full-grown man. That's that's not easy. I mean, by yourself, trying to make this all happen, take it to an innkeeper, pay him your own money. You're not even asking the guy, like, well, it, I'll help you, but you got to pay for the innkeeper to take care of you, too, because I'm not putting my own money out for you. It's truly the greatest example, I think, of taking care of those who are your enemies. He had no choice. They, they were enemies. He didn't choose them to be enemies. Sometimes we have enemies without even really having a choice in it. But we don't have to continue to have those enemies if we take the time in Christ's example and to go and lend a helping hand like the Samaritan did and says we no longer have to be enemies. We're now in Christ. We can now be neighbors. We can now love each other because we're in Christ. There is no need for enemies any longer. Jesus, I think, he likes to challenge us. He likes to make it a little bit harder for us. One of my uh, favorite passages in Scripture, I love the, the Sermon on the Mount. I think one of the most challenging uh, pieces to me personally on the Sermon on the Mount is the section's on loving your enemies. This is um, Matthew chapter 5, starting in 43, verse 43. Again, he says, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's easy. Love my neighbor, hate my enemy. Put them in two groups. Isn't that how the world kind of functions? You know? Love America, hate Mexico, Paul. <laughs> Not going to touch it again. You know? Love the white people, hate the black people. That's happened, right? <clears throat> Still happens today. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For it makes his son to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Those were like the IRS guys. We don't even like those today. We do need to like them. They're our neighbors. I've met some very wonderful people that work for the IRS, and that's their job that they do. They aren't getting paid right now, so we need to pray for them. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect if your heavenly Father is perfect. How am I supposed to be perfect? I'm supposed to strive to the level that Jesus set for us. We have to want perfection in our lives. 
If you say that I am perfect, I'm going to call you a liar. If you say that Jesus makes you perfect, then you're not a liar. Because that's the only way that you can be perfect. But Christ says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Is what Stephen did. He's, he's getting stoned to death and he's praying for them. It's really easy for me to pray for people that I like a lot. It's really easy to pray for me for somebody that I may not know them, but they're not my enemy. If you think about the person who has hurt you the most, and it's generally the people who have been the closest to you can hurt you the most. I know that's so true in my life. It's hard to pray for those people. So just say, God, help this person today. We, we could pray curses on them, I guess. I pray, Lord, that they would trip. I pray that their car doesn't start today. I pray that you cut their brake lines. That's pretty awful stuff. That's not what he's saying. I pray that my enemy has safe travel to work tomorrow on the snowy roads. I pray that you continue to bless them in their work. I pray that their roof doesn't cave in because of the heavy snow on it. Loving your enemies in spite of yourself. They've hurt me so much, I should probably do everything I can to destroy their life. It's exactly what they did to me. They were an angry person when they hurt me. Why should I continue to show the same example that they've shown me? Some people are just unlovable. They just are. But we are able to love them. They are able to become lovable through God's grace. God's grace allows the unlovable person to be lovable. Some people are so unlovable, they know they're unlovable. And they don't want anything to do with your love. Leave me alone. I've had people say, don't pray for me. Stop praying for me. Can't do that. I'm probably not going to say, well, I'm not going to stop praying for you. Okay. Whatever you say, I'm going to keep praying for them. I'm not going to probably have the conversation with them. I'm not trying to make them more angry than they already are in the moment. But they know that they are so unlovable that they don't want anything to do with whatever I have to offer because they are in such a, a dark, dark place of just desperate, just opposition to Christ. How could anybody ever love them? And our place in this world is to show people through our lives, through what God's given us, is that God still loves them regardless of that. Another scripture for you. It might be the last one. I'm not going to tell you. This one was fun to me to put these together. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 6. But while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him 
through the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. So much more that we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We remember back before you knew the Lord. At that time, you were God's enemy. We all had a point in life, whether you were younger, in age, whether it was more of a recent you were God's enemy. And by human standards, you didn't deserve anything from God. He didn't have to talk to you. He didn't have to give you anything. But God, in His love and His mercy, loves His enemies and wants us to be His friend. He calls us in Scripture a brother to Christ. Christ is our brother. Isn't that amazing that we can have to be in God's family? That we, It also says that we are adopted into God's family. To be God is our Father. Go from being enemies to getting a new dad? That's pretty amazing. And, and, and so much more should we be with those around us. Are you bringing people into your family to say, be my friend, be my family member, somebody that you would call your brother. You are now my brother. You were once my enemy, and now we're brothers. I was, uh, several years ago, I lived in Cleveland area, and I had a, a, a man of God that I uh, worked for. It's unfortunate how we can become enemies with people even in God's family. And I was hurt by him, and I hadn't talked to him in, I don't know, eight or nine years. And I was convicted about it um, fall of 2017. I, I need to go make this right. I was really bothered by it. I hadn't really ever resolved the matter. And I had tried praying for him, and that's hard when you don't like that person very much. And so I figured out how to get a hold of him and uh, called him up. Hey, you want to have lunch? And uh, he set up a very public place to have lunch in, and, and he showed up, and uh, we started talking, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, and he goes, I'm sorry, I don't, we didn't really remember what it was all about. And I said, were you a little scared today? And he goes, yeah, I was a little scared, because I wasn't sure what was going to happen, because I remembered me being angry, and I was like, well, I was a little scared of you too, because I remember you being really angry, and this could have gone down very, very badly for us. And just to think that after these years... We didn't even remember what we were mad about. I could tell the story. It really was kind of pointless. I was a punk. He was a punk. You know, those things happen. We didn't overthrow each other's kingdom. He thought I was hurting him. I thought he was hurting me. We never really talked about it. We just parted ways with angry words. Never saw each other again. But now we're able to be resolved because... We decided that we can love our enemies through Christ's example, through the maturity that God's given us, through Him continuing to grow us in our life. He's in ministry in the Cleveland area. It's exciting that I was able to resolve, and now I feel as though I have 
a brother in Christ that I can rely on, that I can I can pray for, that I can ask for his help. It's a lot easier to pray for a brother than it is an enemy. Why have as many, I don't want to have as any enemies because it's a lot easier to pray for my friends and my brothers. It's so much easier. Unfortunately, those stories of enemies, we don't always get an opportunity to resolve with them because the other party won't resolve with us. And I've experienced that too. Trying to resolve with another enemy and they won't have anything to do with me. They won't have anything to do with me showing God's love to them. And the only thing I can do then is pray for them. I've forgiven them. I don't want them to be my enemy, but I am their enemy. And so what more can we do? I, the, the, the stories I'm sure that you have are so many different reasons of why they're your enemy. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they feel as though you've hurt them. Maybe it's just because they're completely unrepentant and sin and there's nothing you can do. And the fact that you are just God's, God's child, that they will not be your friend. That happens. So all we can do is pray for them. Jesus did the work on the cross, and now he desperately wants them to be in his family. And like I said at the beginning, generally the people who are our enemies were probably somebody that was very close to us at one point. Seems to be very, very common. If you look at the life of David, we've been studying on Tuesday night. David and Saul were pretty tight at one point. David was a very trusted commander in Saul's army. They were, they were friends. They were, they were brothers for all other definitions. They became the greatest enemies. And David loved him. David had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to kill Saul, and he never did it. He never killed Saul. Even though he could have. Could have killed Saul. It was his kingdom to have. Got to overthrow this guy. Let's just get on with it. David only ruled uh, Israel, I think, 38 or 40 years. Could he have done it 50 years? Probably. It was his to have. One of the longest reigning kings of Israel. It's also one of the greatest examples of God's love. Pardoning his enemies, not killing his, uh, not, not killing his father-in-law, Saul, who was his father-in-law. Not, not killing him uh, before the appointed time. He let God do the work, praying for his enemy, rescuing him from danger rather than going after him and trying to look for a one-up. We see that a lot out there. We're always looking we seem like we're always looking for levers, a way to get one up on each other. And that's how enemies functions. But friends and brothers are always looking for a way to uplift each other. We do that with the people who, who hate us. How do we uplift you? How do we help you out of the situation you're in? How do we help you do better? How do we just go and, and do that? And we can't do that unless we just we go and have a conversation with people. We... Go and understand where they're at. Rather than just saying, all those people, they're all the same. Or all these people do this. We, we can't classify and group people unless, unless you've gone and talked to them. We can't understand what 
are how people are unless we go and form a relationship with them. That's what Jesus has done. And then regardless of that, we still need to love them because that's what Christ has called us to do. I'm not giving anybody a free pass for sin here, I don't think. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is God loved us regardless of our sin, and we need to continue to follow that example that Christ has given us. Because I have sin in my own life. I struggle with things in my own life. And God's given me the tools through His Word, through His Holy Spirit, for us to be able to help others to overcome the sin that's in their life, to overcome the obstacles that are in their life, and help them to have a relationship with Christ so that we are no longer enemies. And they are no longer enemies with Christ, but we are all brothers in Christ. That is essentially the work that we do here at Wellspring and why I'm so excited about where Wellspring is at today and where Wellspring is going in the future. We don't know what we'll face next month, next week, next year, but we know that if we're in Christ and we continue to love our enemies, we continue to look to bring those enemies as brothers into the family of God, and we will continue to do the right work, and God will continue to allow us to minister here at Wellspring and in Alliance and, and wherever God may lead us in the future. I just want to lift this time up in prayer. Father, I just I thank you for you and your gift of your son dying on the cross. Father, my heart breaks again as I think about this time of the year. We, we, see, a, we see a decline in, in suicide around Christmas time and then it shoots back up in January. I pray, Father, that you would give us opportunity to speak to our neighbors, our enemies, our friends, that they want to they give up. They would say, I have a friend. I have a new friend over here. And they love me. I don't know why. I'm pretty unlovable. But I want to know what they... I want to know what they've got. I want to know why they're the way they are. And I don't want a piece of that. You've given us all the tools and resources. Give us the boldness to go do that. Give us the opportunities. Maybe it's shoveling somebody's driveway, cleaning off their car. Maybe, maybe make the battery not work on our neighbor's car so we have an opportunity to go jump it for them. You alone have given opportunities in, in ways that we wouldn't even imagine, Father. Help us to, to make a, a new relationship today and also bring to mind those who may be our enemy and we may pray for them in your love. And give us opportunities in 2019 to reconcile with them and help them reconcile with you, Father. If we, Father, are your enemy today, if there's somebody here that's your enemy, I pray that they wouldn't be anymore. But today, it's, today's the day to come into your family. Today's the day to reconcile with you. You give us a pardon like David gave his enemies. You give us a pardon for life, for eternal life. And I pray that if there's somebody here today, Father, that, that needs that, that they would, they would come and be pardoned with you, Father. I make that offer, Father, if they, 
if they need help, if you need help today, coming to know Christ, you want to no longer be God's enemy. I'm available, Phil's available today. I just pray that you would uh, come and, and speak with us, speak with God. Jesus, we pray this in, in your name. Amen.